The following program contains controversial subject matter. Your discretion is advised. Welcome yet again. It's a Tuesday night, and What's the Buzz is live and on the air. WWTF Radio Network proudly presents What's the Buzz globally and around the world, nationwide and around the world. I'll get Miss Wright one of these. Amelia, yes. you should give me my denture fixed. I, I needed it tonight. <laughs> How are you, kid? I'm doing good. How are you? My co-host, Amelia Pitbull Chapman, joins me every Tuesday and Thursday night. She's here yet again. I keep trying to get rid of her, but she keeps coming back. Damn it. You can't we get rid of me that easily. Special guest tonight. This is somebody that uh, that you turned me on to, and I'm glad yes. you did. Because he's a hell of a little author here. Yes, he is. Uh, I want to get into introducing this young man. Alistair Cross is with us tonight. He is a uh, describes himself as a horror and dark fantasy author. Let me tell you a little bit about Alistair Cross. Alistair Cross grew up. On horror movies and scary movies and tales of, uh, you know, of what lies beneath. I love that kind of stuff. The creepy crawlies. Oh, that's beautiful stuff. Yes. By the age of eight, he was writing his own creepy crawly stories. First published in 2012, he has since co-authored The Cliff House Haunting and Mother with Tamara Thorne and is working on several other projects. His debut novel, The Crimson Corset. He's on Amazon bestseller, and that's no small task, by the way. Uh, the Midnight Ripper, book four of the Vampire of Crimson Cove series, is due out this summer, summer of 22. Currently, Thorn and Cross, our host of Thorn and Cross, Carnival Macabre, where listeners can discover all manner of demented delights, unearth terrifying treasures, and explore the unknown. Jeez. Jeez, you get, that sounds like every week here on What's the Buzz. Right? <laughs> it sure Would does, doesn't please it? Please welcome making his first appearance on What's the Buzz, horror author, Alistair Cross. Yes, welcome to the you, show. Hi, thanks for having me, you guys. Welcome to the show. It's uh, nice to have you here. Um, yes. You have, I'll tell you what, you have been kind of all the rage here lately um <laughs> you know, when amelia gets on you gotta understand something mm-hmm. the couple when amelia gets on a kick okay <laughs> she don't let go of it so no. she like she wore me down till i booked you okay so i had to get you on here but I, okay what's all the buzz about this you know young dashing good-looking guy <laughs> who happens to write <laughs> Really great horror stuff. I fucking hate him already. <laughs> Damn. Well, and I read <laughs> by the way, and Alistair sent me. Hold up your book, Amelia. Yes, absolutely. This, one. this is called The Silver Dagger. This is part of the uh, Vampires of Crimson Cove series. This is book two. Uh huh. 
Okay. You've got what, yes. book number what? Book what, one. Number one. Okay. Mm-hmm. He should have sent me number one. <laughs> so I can read that first and send you number two because I'm the host of the show and I'm more important. But see, now you have to go, <laughs> yeah, right. go buy it. See how that works? Uh, there we're you gonna, go. We're going <laughs> to rustle some. I assure you, before this show is over, we will rustle at least number one and number three for me, and we'll get you number two and number three. <laughs> okay, and when number four comes out, we'll buy it. Right. <laughs> we could do yes, it. I'll definitely buy number four if I get two and three. <laughs> All right. <laughs> see, there um, you go. I got two and three. A quick, quick shout out to um, to uh, uh, our friend at, uh, at Turbo Cola, and I want to make sure that uh, that our our all of like Nick and uh, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Sean and um, oh God and uh, I forgot the kid's name already. Oh, anyway, but all these great kids from Turbo Cola, Amelia and I were going to get some pre-shirts, but we. I said, you know what? I'm going to support this film financially. So we bought our T-shirts Mm because that's what we do around here. We do support people. So I want Mm -hmm. Alistair Cross to know that we're not a bunch of cheap bastards around here. (laughs) That just want free merch. (laughs) Free merch is good, but we also buy stuff. Yes. Right, right, right. You give us number one and number three, and I'll buy number four. Yes, I'll buy number four. Absolutely. I might even be generous and buy a copy for Amelia. Oh. As long as she's on the thirty dollars. Yeah. She could buy her own. All right. Yes, please. Let's do that. Alistair Cross. Um, So, Alistair, a question for you. You're a young guy. Uh, Your bio says you started um, writing, uh, you know, your own kinds of horror. When you were like eight, nine years old, is that correct? Yes, yes. I just, uh, I, I, I mean, it was all, you know, ripping off other stuff. But yeah, like I'd, I'd see, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, for example, or you know, Carrie, and have some great idea and kind of make up my own story. And you know. so, let me ask you a question: What, what was it uh, at? Because uh, you're, you know, young, you know, eight, nine years old, even seven, younger than that. Um, you know, your interest in like scary stuff. I mean, you always were gravitated towards scary movies and, you know, spooky stories, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I was a really uh, hyperactive kid. And so I think in a lot of ways, it was a simple matter of uh, that's, that's what held my attention because it was so flashy and, uh, you know, uh, charged. Right. Couldn't sit through like, you know, Little House on the Prairie, for example. Like, I couldn't just couldn't sit through it. <laughs> I, couldn't, I can't even remotely see you writing anything like Little House. Yeah, no. <laughs> Not oh, even yeah. close. <laughs> Unless it's Laura Ingalls starts to kill people. No. <laughs> yeah, right. Little House on the Prairie. Right. That's a hallmark moment. Alistair Cross saying Little House on the Prairie. Damn. Right. My question then would the obvious progression would be uh, you started writing your own stories at like eight years old. And so where did these fanciful ideas come from? How were they generated? 
Um, the same, I'd say the same then as it is now, which is uh, everything, everything you see, everything, you know, I read a lot. I, I, I you know, I like horror movies. Uh, it's just, it's, it's kind of everywhere. You, you know, that's like, you know, where do you, where do you, you know, get your ideas everywhere. I mean, you can, you can be, you know, sitting in a restaurant and overhear, you know, a snippet of a conversation at the table next to you and, it can spark something, you know. Do you take uh, real life situations and and bend them? Uh, you know what I mean when I say bend them. Yeah. Yeah, not as much as possible. I I don't actually, and and the reason for that is is mainly because I don't really think. I mean, I think it's impossible to 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 write anything without some of you coming out a little bit of your life, your experience, your obviously, you know, it, it's going to come out. But m my interest has always been the characters and I love, you know, learning their stories. Um, I don't, I, I really have never, at least not consciously thought, oh, this, this happened to me. I'm going to put this in a book. I'm not interested in my life. My life is just, you know what I'm saying? I'm more interested. I was actually just going to yeah. ask you about that. How much of Alistair Cross are we reading? Not much. Okay. Not much at all. Yeah. It's very interesting you say that because we just did a couple of shows where the opposite was true and had to be. Uh, we, we spoke to um, a stage performer just recently, and, of course, we had an entire cast of a film here. And the idea in in performance and acting is is yourself cranked up to eleven, yeah. but your situation is divergently opposite. Where there's very little of you, but almost all, like say ninety five percent, is this fanciful idea, this notion in your head that becomes from brain to paper. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's impossible to say, you know, like I said, that some of who you are and what you've experienced isn't going to come out, but I've never done it. I've never done it consciously. And the, the strange uh, reality is, you know, you're, you're writing along. I do a lot of um, uh, multiple points of view, meaning, you know, one minute I'm in, um, you know, this, 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 you know, 20 year old woman's head, the next minute I'm coming from the point of view of a 70 year old man and everything in between. Yes. Um, I don't, I don't really know where it comes from, but I don't know how I would possibly inject too much of myself into that. It's, it's, that's kind of the um, phenomenon of writing really is where does it come from? Where do you, you know, how, how yeah. do you just all of a sudden just, you know, um, it is the, interesting. It really, really is a, as a character study. And, and you're talking to a guy who it loves to, to delve into the psyche of a character. Yeah. But and that's what nature, I love. Yeah. And by nature of what I have done my whole life, you know, that, and what I do now as an interviewer, I, I get into people's heads, but from a, almost from a voyeuristic standpoint. Yeah, and that's that's exactly how I'd explain it actually. That's not that's that's a good way of putting it. It's it's being the fly on the wall. I'm not 
when I'm writing, I'm not thinking, you know, about myself. I'm thinking about these characters and I'm going along, you know, finding out, you know, things about them. <laughs> it sounds kind of weird, but, you know, things about them as they present information to me. Yeah. And that sounds really weird. And I don't know if people, you know, it's kind of hard to quite understand, but it, it, it really is true. You're just, you know, an example is um, the, the series, the series that uh, the Crimson Cove series, you know, Gretchen, one of the main characters, she, she, I invented her little petite blonde for the sole purpose of demonstrating how a vampire might die. So in essence, she was supposed to be this throwaway character. She was supposed to just come on, get killed, go away. As soon as I got into her head, she just, yep, that's her. <laughs> she just kind of, you know, she just kind of takes over and she's totally this outrageously sadistic, horrid, hypersexual, crazy lady, you know, yeah. and uh, um, she just took over and she, she sent the whole series in a whole new direction. She was supposed to be a throwaway and yet she's yeah. the central figure. How do you, I don't know how to explain that. It, you you just brought something up that is the concurrent theme in almost every horror genre, almost from as, and I'm substantially older than you, but I could tell you back to the early '60s because I can remember that far back, giving away my age, but <laughs> the sexual element and horror have yeah. been inextricably linked for eons why is that and then i'll go to amelia how's that for a segue <laughs> uh well i i if i had to take a guess i would say that uh you know horror revolves around death and terror and sex revolves around creation and pleasure so in in some respect i suppose you could say that they're kind of um opposite ends of the same spectrum so they, they kind of could naturally go together. Yeah, they really are. Amelia, you brought this young man to me. You are up. Unmute your microphone, please. Okay. Hi. Yes. Um, the poetry that you normally wrote when you were a kid, and I know that uh, one of the stories that your teacher um, had you write for Halloween, a Halloween theme, it basically ridiculed the teacher in front of their whole class, and you said that that actually got you into writing. Uh, was that... Was that really what tormented you into writing the horror and it got you more into that? You know, it, 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 it wasn't only in the sense that I was already kind of doing that. I was about eight at that time and it was for Halloween and it was an assignment to write a scary story. And I wrote a story about um, a, a serial killer who is also a ghost. So, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah. So, and, and she just, she just didn't like it or didn't like me. I don't, I, I don't know, but she, she was really, really hard on it. She, she read everybody's out loud, but she refused to read mine out loud. She made this big, you know, I don't even know what this is. This doesn't make any sense. Throw it down. It wasn't uh, what made me decide to write, start writing horror, but it, it was a pivotal moment when I said to myself, I'm going to do this. And I know that sounds really I don't know what that says about what kind of person I am, but <laughs> I thought I do. I remember. We should take you out back and flog you with a stick. 
<laughs> well, I it got you to write wonderful books. I tell you that right there. Absolutely. That's what, that's what it got Absolutely. you. As that you teacher. were speaking, we were holding mm -hmm. our books up. These yes. are amazing books. Yes, they are. Uh, I have a book here, uh, Alistair, mm -hmm. in my hand that that finishes off somewhere around mm -hmm. 451 pages. Mm -hmm. You've written multiple books that exceed four to 500 yes. pages. Mm -hmm. Where does that kind of creativity come from, and can you turn it off once it rolls? Well, sometimes you don't turn it off, which is why <laughs> you know it's an ongoing series. Um, it... it a lot of it is the fact that there are so many um, characters. Like, um, I like exploring different points of view. I like getting into this person's head and this person's head. I like seeing the world from different uh, people's perspectives. So I don't think I could write a 500-page book from one person's point of view. Right. That, that yeah. would be a lot harder. It's, it's easy. And, and I have, you know, A stories, B stories. C story, you know, the plot, the subplot, you know, that helps too, you know. Um, I, I did write one, I've written a murder mystery, it was called uh, Sleep Savannah Sleep, and that was from one person's point of view. It's from a single point of view. I never left his head, I never left the main character's head, and that was like 350 somewhere pages, much shorter. Alistair, I've written two books. Each book was around 125 pages, give or take a couple pages. It took me almost a year to write that 125 pages. How long does it take you to crank out a 500-page book? Um, it's it's not that fast. I I uh, um, my biggest book is uh, Dream Reaper. I don't know exactly how many pages it is, but it's it's over 500, and it's this big, uh, you know, small town, you know, saga thing with good versus evil, um, and that's over 500 uh, pages. But that took me about a year and a half. But to be fair, I'm always working on three books at a time. So that if was I were my to, next wow. Yeah. That was my next question. Do you work simultaneously? Yes, I do. I do. I work with Tamara Thorne all day. We, we, we start in the morning and we go about seven to nine hours, somewhere in there. And we spend, we spend an hour and a half to two hours on um, our collaboration, an hour and a half to two hours on the Ravencrest Saga, which is also a collaboration that's an ongoing series, and then the next hour and a half to two hours on Can the Can we explore that a little bit? Um... You mentioned Tamara Thorne. Can we explore that the, the collaboration uh, uh, sure. slash relationship, if there's any there? Um, sure. So how did uh, – my understanding is that you met kind of serendipitously uh, uh, it's, by, yeah. by happy accident. It's, it's, a, it's a strange story. It's one of those things that happens in life that you you, you almost wouldn't – believe it if it didn't happen to you but interestingly you know, to, to condense it as much as possible I grew up reading horror and loving horror and I remember when I was about 18 or 19 years old I was in a library and I saw a book by it said Moonfall Tamara Thorne on it and I thought well that looks good and I picked up the I picked it up and I liked the cover I, I checked the book out I went home 
Um, I loved it. I uh, didn't even have a computer at the time. I didn't have internet. My mom had dial-up. So I'd go to my mom's house and I'd, I'd hang out on her internet because I loved the internet. And I remember looking up Tamara Thorne and looking for more books and wanting to read more of her books. So I was a big fan, and this was 20 some odd years before I met her. You know, so I was a big fan, and then, and then in 2013, you know, um, I had just gotten published, and I realized I didn't really know any authors, and so I thought, what I'll do is I'll start interviewing authors on my blog. I had a little blog, and uh, she was one of the authors that I asked, one of the first ones, in fact, and uh, we just hit it off, and she asked me if I would be I wanted to write with her and I was absolutely floored and of course I said yes and I thought you know, this, could, this could go one of two ways and it, it's this was 10 years ago we're still going we've never we don't fight we don't it's amazing I can't explain it <laughs> that's remarkable you know she was I, I knew when you mentioned her name uh, I knew who she was Right. Um, she's quite an accomplished author in her own right. Oh, yeah. Do you ever find um, a, a competitive nature between the two of you? You know, it's amazing. Not, not really. We really, we really, no, we've never. Um, of the two of us, I'm, I'm much more. Uh, what's the word? I'm much more unpleasant. I guess she's much more laid back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I'm, I can I can be a little uh, you know pushy like I want to get things done I'm, I'm really strict about you know, that schedule. surprises me that really surprises me <laughs> you, you look like the laid back one no, you look like the, guy <laughs> the quiet one funny. yeah you, you look like the guy that would like you know kick back in his recliner and light up a bone you know and kind of, <laughs> I am, I am, bit, you know, I am deceptively militant. Well, he did say, you know, if you prefer reading by flickering candlelight in the dark, quiet dungeon instead of on a sunny beach, you're in the right place. If a mysterious noises in the dead of night make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside, have a seat. If sex and violence and scandal excite you more than they should, kick off your shoes and stay a while. If you like that kind of fiction that bites back, welcome to the dungeon. What about that quote? That um, I, I got a I got a, a website. Mm -hmm. I'm getting a new one right now, but um, I was told, oh, you have to put something on your main page. And I'm like, yes, I love uh, that quote. It's one of my favorites. You know, I'm like, you can bore people with it. But anyway, so I just thought, well, I'll just kind of, you know. So I put As you can tell, name. I don't go yeah. to the beach much, if you can tell. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> me neither. I'm, I'm a at the beach, Alistair. No, uh, I'm yeah. more of a dungeon person, so there you go. <laughs> I came out of my dungeon. <laughs> you go back into your damn dungeon after this show. I, I got a book to finish. I, I got a book to finish reading almost here. I, I'm almost done with it, now, so yeah. I got a book. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Yeah. Ask some more questions, please. <laughs> no, I was also going to say that uh, Stevie Nicks was one of your influences to uh, write your poetry. Is, is there any other artists that have influenced you to write some of your uh, poetry or your novels? I noticed that you like the name Belinda. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I, uh, yeah, but that's an interesting story about that. But, um, I, you know, I, I'm inspired by so much. I, uh, yeah, Stevie Nicks, for some reason, when I was like, I discovered her when I was like eight years old, too, it was an accident. I just liked the picture on the cover of the album and grabbed it and just fell in love with the voice. But then I started hearing the words. And those, you know, she, she writes a lot of imagery. It's not just like, oh, I feel this way, I feel that way. It's like she puts, you know, images in your mind, which for me, going back to, you know, me being a kind of hyperactive kid, that really worked for me. So uh, it just kind of got me writing. It got the wheels turning. So in a way, that's kind of ground zero, I guess, where a lot of this may have started. Um, but as far as, you know, I, I'm really inspired by other authors. I'm inspired by, um, you know, music, movies, people. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of across the board. And it's not necessarily just horror either. You know, I love Downton Abbey. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I really like Downton Abbey, and I can, I can watch that and go, oh, that can answer a question or solve a problem that I'm having in something I'm writing, which is, you know, you know what I mean? That's weird. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. The, um, when, when we talk horror, uh, we, you know, the, the names that come up repeatedly, in fact, we, we just had a, another horror author on the show, um, a, a gentleman, actually, that I think you may know him, Carver Pike. Yeah, I do. I've seen him around. I have not. Um, I don't know him, know him, but we're, we're connected on Facebook and probably Instagram, too. And uh, yeah. But one of the things that we talk about when we talk horror, uh, the the same five or six names come up. Stephen King, Dean Coots, um, Clive Barker, Peter Stroud, Bram Stoker. And then, of course, the names like Mary Shelley, Anne Rice, my particular favorite, Edgar Allan Poe, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, Ramsey Campbell, uh, Richard Matheson, Ray Bradbury, and Dan Simmons. Right. These are amazing names from uh, literary horror. Uh, not too damn shabby either, by the way. Um, what would it mean to you to have your name cross among Kane and Shelley and uh, names like Rice? What would it, what would that mean to you to be considered one of the masters? Um, I would be glad, but, but I mean that's not that's not my. Uh, I mean, I would be flattered. I would be, um, but that's. That's something that the readers you know, decide. You can't really strive for something like that. I mean, it, you can, but but that's something that's going to be that, that the readers are going to decide, and and that's and that's okay. I would be flattered, but it, it's not something I think about. It's not something. It's not the reason. It's interesting you gave that answer. It's very very telling that you gave that answer. I uh, I got to see Stephen King give a lecture. And he said he never set out to be the greatest horror writer or the yeah. greatest writer. He set out to be a guy who wrote good stories. Right, that right. was his only goal, was to write good stories. Well, and how would you do that anyway? I mean, how would you say, I'm going to be the best horror writer or whatever kind of writer out there, according to who? You know, I mean, yeah. it, no matter what you do, some people are going to love it, some people are going to hate it. Well, I you think the answer to it's a very valid question. You ask a very valid question. And the I think the answer to that question is obviously simple. 
It's the your it's your reader, it's your audience who makes you great. Right, they, right. by choosing your work, they Absolutely. make you great. Absolutely. You can't I mean I mean you all you can do is think about being the best that you can be, writing the stories that you exactly. love and making them the best yes. you can make them. And and it's out of, after that it's out of your hands. It's just like I mean life is like it's not just writing, it's I mean how much control do you really yeah. have? In life, you know, not as much as we like to think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mia, your questions for Alice Daircroft. Yes, absolutely. I noticed that also uh, you were wanting to be a paramedic at one time and give up writing. Was that something you still had wanted to do if writing didn't, uh, was one of the it, things you couldn't do anymore? It wasn't that I, it wasn't, this was actually before I um, settled on writing. I had always written, but I went through once I got out of high school, and even in high school, I was told, um, because this is just the generation that I was, this is, you know, we were told, you do something practical. You know, you're, you're not going to go be, you know, a rock star. You're not going to go be, you know, a writer. You're not going to be a movie star. you got to find something practical. So for a long, long time, for years, I wasted a lot of years trying to find something practical to do. Um, and one of the things that kind of interested me was paramedics, because I learned through, you know, weird, few weird events that I have really good emergency response. And I thought, well, then, you know, I, I believe that you have talents and skills that you have for a reason, and you should use them. And I thought, well, that's, that's what I'll do. But of course, it never really went anywhere, because I'm in love with the idea of it. And uh, anyway, by the time I was, yeah, as I got older, I, I kind of started rethinking everything I was doing. I never found that practical thing to do that was supposed to be so, you know, <laughs> be a lifeline and, you know, and so I just said, said, you know, to hell with it. And I'm going to be a writer. I went and did it. And it turned out to be the most practical thing I've ever done. There you go. Yeah. Your dreams. <laughs> the, the obvious question, at least in, in my case, I, I, I had to deal with this. I'm curious whether you had to deal with it. Did you did you have the the particular family members? We're not going to name them, but did you have those particular family members who said you're wasting your time? Go get a real job, um, or or did your family encourage you? You know, uh, neither one because I always did work full time before I was writing full time. I did work, and I never really told. I didn't, I would tell anybody what I was doing because I didn't, I didn't want, I didn't really talk about it a whole lot until it was a done deal. I, I would go to work and I would come home and I, I wrote my first book, which never got published, you know, which is a good thing. Um, and that's why you're smarter than me because I made the mistake <laughs> of telling them. <laughs> I, I, I should have kept my fucking mouth shut. <laughs> I, I, I'm inclined to agree. I think, I think, you know what, if you want something, you go get it, and this is this comes down to you know, one of the rules of writing is show, don't tell, right? Meaning, don't tell the reader what's happening, show them what's happening. You know what? That applies to life too. When you go around telling people what you're going to do, you're opening yourself up to all kinds of suggestions, advice, encouragement, even encouragement, and that's great. But I much prefer to just do it and show them rather than tell them. That, that's, that's my thing. Yeah. I'm going to really prove. I'm going to prove your point for you. I'm going to prove your point for you. 
And if people think that I'm making a word of this up, it's absolutely true. And you can validate it any, anywhere. I have this podcast and this radio network. Five years ago, it was an idea. Right. Four and a half years ago, it became a reality. Because I didn't tell anybody what the hell I was doing. Right. Okay. I, I don't, yeah. I don't know what it is. There's some sort of, it's like you're leaking your power. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Like, going out and telling everybody, I'm going to lose 30 pounds. No. No. Just lose 30 pounds and let them say, exactly. well, I lost 30 pounds. Exactly. Right. Absolutely. Amelia. Yes. Do you want to tell everybody what time of the show it is now? Yes, show and tell time. Her favorite was she gets so yes. excited when I show pictures. <laughs> All right. Alistair yes. Cross, welcome to your very first show and tell. Show and tell. All right. Okay. <laughs> There's Alistair Cross. There I am. A lot of people, let's go back to that. Let's go back to that picture. Where's that photo at? Hold on. Uh. <laughs> A lot of forehead. Yeah, right? <laughs> a lot of people commenting about that. Okay, so we got a, um, a couple of things. The Ravencrest saga. Now, this is another one yeah. that's part of a a series, right? There's like the three. Yeah, movies. yeah. There's, there's actually this. That's what we're looking at right here is the box set. So it's the first three. There's actually four books out now, and we're starting the fifth. Oh, I got it. So this, yeah. what we're looking at, this is the culmination of it, right? Yeah, this is just the first three in a box set. I got you. Okay, great. Okay. As I was curious about that. That, that set intrigues me. I think it's something I might, might want to read. Hint, hint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where did the Midnight Ripper come from? Um, in the last book, uh, the Black Wasp, which you know one of you have, uh, <laughs> uh, the character Michael Ward is a vampire who's a peace-loving, uh, kind of hippie-esque vampire, very peaceful. Anyway, he, he's an addict, though, and he, he, He's been suppressing his carnal and uh, his, his bloodthirst and his sexual appetites for centuries. But when he's an addict, and when it goes off the rails, he does it right. And so in the last book, book three, The Black Wasp, he starts going off the rails and he starts basically, you know, uh, slaughtering people and uh, satisfying all his appetites. And he earns right. the moniker The Midnight Ripper uh, from the you know authorities and the, the local you know, people in Crimson Cove. And so when I started writing before, I knew I was going to take my main characters to follow him and, and try to stop him or whatever. I didn't know yeah. what happened. So I knew the Midnight Ripper would be the right title for that. The, the book we're looking at now is called uh, Dream Reaper. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to me for a couple of reasons. The artwork on the cover of this book is eerily similar to me anyway because again i'm old and i remember shit uh, it's eerily similar to an old movie about a possessed ventriloquist dummy and um, that the face on that cover looks like the dummy in this old classic black and white horror film where well, the, the ventriloquist dummy like comes to life and kills people yeah, he is, that is uh, Grimory Jones, that's his 
name, and he's a demon. And uh, one day, here's how he came. I was I was going for a walk. I, I you know I jog and I walk, and I kept seeing this guy. Um, I saw this. I was with somebody, and we, you know I saw this guy, and he's walking down the street. And he had a you know, he had a briefcase and a hat and a chain, and he was smoking a cigarette with one of those long cigarette holders. Was, yeah. I don't know who he was or what he was doing or why he was dressed like that, but I looked at the person I was with him and said, there goes my next guy. There goes my next villain. And I immediately started writing this guy. And, he, and yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a wicked, wicked dude. He's, he was one of the most fun characters. Well, it, that, it, it, that, that is based on a real person? Yeah, somebody wow. that, that yeah. makes it even creepier. Yeah, yeah. I know, right? <laughs> he, wasn't as, he wasn't as creepy as this. He was more of a classy, but you know, I got to right. <laughs> Here oh. is the uh, the Vampire Crimson Cove series. Um, there are all three books. Of course, I don't have all three books. Okay? <laughs> I only have book number two. Amelia has book number one. How she ended up with book number one, I don't want to know. But I assure you, by the end of this broadcast, I will have book number one and three. I assure you, I will have book number one and three by the end of this show. Now, I digress. (laughs) <laughs> this is a uh, this is the Cliff House haunting. Um, this is a, a collaboration with Tamara Thorne yeah. uh, and yourself, Alistair Cross. Talk to me about the inspiration for Cliff House haunting. Was okay. it based on a real place? Um, kind of. Uh, it's a little bit based on the Brookdale Lodge in um, California, which is allegedly haunted, and this is. The first book that Tamara and I wrote together, and we knew we wanted it to be a uh, um, haunted house story. And uh, this is another one that's probably, it's a big, good-sized book with lots of characters, and you will be interested to know that by the time we edited this book uh, to get it to where it was condensed enough to be published, we cut 50,000 words out of it. Wow. Yeah, it, we really just we just like to talk. We like to write. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and, and this right here, what we're looking at here, this is a, one of Tamara's dark. Now, not having, uh, not having the benefit of having Tamara here, you're familiar with this this work called Haunted. Oh yeah. Uh, what what is the story behind Haunted? Haunted is, um, it's another haunted house story, and it's about a writer who goes, he buys, he buys a house, uh, he and his daughter move in, and uh, he's very skeptical, but uh, he learns the hard way that uh, there's more to life than he might think. Okay. It's one of my favorites, yeah. There's um, the Midnight Ripper, we were just speaking about that. Ah, this is, uh, I think this is Amelia's autobiography. Let your daughter take the play. Oh, that's so nice of you to say. Uh, these, these, that's these are... payback, woman. Yeah, this is a poster that I, well, that I as, as He said I was so nice uh, to him, so yes, thank you. Are, this is, it, it, uh, clearly, this is obviously your, uh, you know, your, the tagline for the uh, the Vampire Crimson Code series. Right. That was. It seems to me like that was your, um, your your here I am world moment. Uh, this the the Vampire of Crimson Code. 
Um, it, yeah, yeah, and, and, and to, to, to be able to keep going with it also proves that you have, you know, it makes you feel like you're not just a, you know, somebody writes a book and then disappears, you know. That's the Cliff House, that's the original cover of House Haunting. We had that uh, redone just because it's to match our other um, I have a question for you. Why the uh, the different uh, cover art photos? Uh, mainly because this, yeah, mainly because this was the first book that we did, and um, we ended up using a different uh, cover artist later, and we just kind of wanted to match. I love this cover though. I got to be honest, I love this cover. Yeah, this one fascinated me because I know absolutely nothing about this book whatsoever. Um, again, Thorn and Cross, it's called Darling Girls. What's the premise of it without giving the book away? Okay, so this is, a, this is, a, this is an interesting... Okay, so Chamber has a vampire novel called Candlebane, and she wanted to write a sequel to it. She wanted uh, me to write it with her. And at the, so what we ended up doing is this is a sequel to Candle Bay, but it also incorporates, this is the first time we really merged our solo worlds. Right. So my vampires meet her vampires, and they go on a road trip uh, to, to a spooky, weird little town called Eternity, which is also the title and subject of, the, of yeah. another one, Eternity. Uh, and it, they're at a festival, and there's a big you know showdown, and... Uh, it's like the, you know, basically, yeah. This is where our vampires really come together. Interesting. I love that the artwork here really is. Oh yeah, it's nice. Uh, yeah, you know, this is uh, we referred to this in the in my opening intro. This is again Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. This is Mother. Yeah. Now, uh, please don't tell me this was based on uh, anything autobiographical. <laughs> we even put, we, even, we both had really good moms, and we talked about this. We even put, we even dedicated it to both of our mothers, who are nothing like the mother in this book. <laughs> we on that this, is, this, is, this is purely fiction. I, I never survived a mother like the mother and mother. She's the mother of all mothers. I gotta tell you. Oh yeah. man, I, I got the mother of all mothers. Trust me, on that. man. I had to throw that photo in for sex appeal, by the way. All right. We have a lot of women. Um, this one is is interesting. The Angel Alejandro. Okay. Um, it's a different. It's a little different uh -huh. from your normal uh -huh. kind of uh, writing. And here's why. Because what that is, is Dream Reaper. That was the original cover and title of Dream Reaper. Because oh, there's wow. a demons, and it, it went out this way. I love it. Wow. I love it. It's beautiful, but it's not. That's beautiful. Artwork. It's, not it's not really representative. This looks a little more like, uh, you know, romance. And yeah, there is romance in it, but, but it's, it's a little horrific for, you know, yeah. a cover like that. This is called Five Nights in a Haunted Cabin. What What is this here? It says night three. All right. So, so Five Nights in a Haunted Cabin is uh, actually um, a true ghost story. This is where Tamara and I first met for the first time face to face. We met online and we've been writing together for a couple of years before we actually right. met. And when we did meet face to face, we did it at a haunted cabin that was allegedly haunted. We, 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 we took notes of everything that happened. Um, we put it into a book, and the book was published. And uh, 
and 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 the reason it says night three on there is because this this would have this would be like the uh, podcast I, I would think or the audio book and stuff right night you know night one night two night three interesting so yeah that's what that is. that's it's nonfiction ghost interesting story. stuff so based on a, on a a real life event okay yeah. um again that's something I know very little about um. I don't know this particular work, uh, All Wives' Tales. This one is not out yet. This is the one that Tamara is working on. Oh, right. this is brand yeah. new. I got you. Yeah. Okay. She, she, That's why I know nothing about it. Yeah. <laughs> she's working on this one, and I'm working on, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, she's not too far behind me. I, I just finished The Midnight Ripper. It's getting, it's getting edited. She's just about to finish this one. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I'm pretty familiar with her work. And I thought to myself, I don't really know that one. <laughs> well, now I know why I don't know that one. It's not out yet. <laughs> okay, this is called Sleep Savannah Sleep. Um, for, and I don't know anything about this, but my gut feeling tells me that there's some element of truth involved here. This is this is the one that's the murder mystery. This the, the one where I was something I never left the uh, um, you know the main the, I stayed in one point of view. The interesting thing about this book is the whole plot came to me. I mean, scene by scene. This is not how it happened to me. Scene by scene, all over the course of one night. I went to bed. I got this idea. I got up, I wrote it down, I went back to bed. Another next idea came, I got up, I wrote it down, up, down, up, down. Finally, I'm just like, I'm just gonna stay up. Stayed up, hammered it out, got the whole outline done, and um, wrote the first draft in about 27 days. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. It took a long time to edit, but it but it, it just came out really, really fast. I don't really know where it That's a long edit, brother. Yeah. Holy yes. crap. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was wow. a draft. Uh, yeah. So I want to talk after we do show and tell. I want to talk to you about your editing process. Carnival Macabre. We talked about this at the beginning too. So this is a what is this a podcast? Or yeah, a this, is, this, this is our podcast. We 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 did a podcast where we interviewed authors. Um, for about six years, and we met some amazing people. But after six years, I was like, I, I'm, I'm done talking about, you know, other authors and their books, and I want to do something different. So we started joining Cross Carnival Macabre, which is a, um, you know, we, we're always researching stuff. We, you know, we're always, you know, meeting and monsters and lore and all kinds of, you know, creepy stuff. And so we have all this research and this information saved us, and we thought, right. what we could do is, Basically, we're talking about things we learned in our research. Yeah, I'll tell you what. It's, um, you know, everybody's got like a podcast these days, you know, or a, or some kind of radio format show. But it's like, you know, it's the new thing, you know, taking over the television. Nobody watches anything anymore. People, yeah, you know. Either. I don't, can't tell you, like, the last time I watched the television where I saw anything good. Yeah, like, I know. I my smart TV or my computer, and there's all kinds of great programming. Um, oh, absolutely. I want to talk to you, Alistair, about uh, two things. I want to talk to you about artwork, and I want to talk to you about your editing process. You mentioned a little bit of it. 
Okay. Um, I, I did two things in life. I worked in professional wrestling and I worked in the music business. Oh, nice. I, I was a sound engineer. I recorded band. And I have quite a bit of editing background. I know what it's like for me to edit a song and to edit music together. Um, it's like anything else. It's rhythmic. It's got a, a tempo. Does your writing and your editing have a tempo, a beat? If so definitely. I mean, you can spend you know, a really long time on a single sentence, not because your meaning isn't clear, but because it doesn't sound right. <laughs> you know, so it's all about tempo. It's all about rhythm and tempo. You know, this, and that's where editing comes in, and that's where you really, where you really do that. You really tighten and make it sound right. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Amelia, questions for Alistair Cross. Right. Because uh, to that, it's like whenever you're trying to say in your head doesn't come out right on paper. And then what you're wanting to say in your head, it's not really coming out on paper is a lot. Just like when you're trying to say something like, you know, it's dark. Well, you know not, what, Amelia, not to interrupt you, but you just pointed out something brilliant, whether you know it or not. Right. Alistair, does is there a disconnect from time to time between the brain mm -hmm. and what you put on paper? Does it lose something once in a while between here and here? Right. Um. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you you can you can go along, and I mean, if I'm understanding question correctly. How, how yes. do you fix it if there's a disconnect? Right, because if whatever sounds in here is not coming out right on when you're typing. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. you know what you want to say, but it's say, not, but it's not, not coming out. That's that's about as close as I've ever gotten to writer's block, I guess. It's, it's very frustrating because okay, so one of the things that I have a hard time with is like a body movements, body motion. How do you explain someone sitting a certain way? Uh, you know, body positions. I see right. it in my head. I see it in my head. But how do you? And you have to be simple. You can't. You can't. Readers are not going to sit through a series of you know motions. You have to just simply you know. Um, an example is uh, a friend of mine, uh, QL Pierce, she wrote um, something and she said, you know, he, he lunged, some guy lunged, landed cat-like on the ground. Mm -hmm. Okay? Simple, concise, you see it in your head. Right. Landed cat-like. My first instinct is to try to describe his body <laughs> when it landed and to have to really simplify it. That's where my disconnects come in. I overthink. And I really have to go back and really find, you know, trust the reader. You know, they're, they're going to see it. Yeah. You know. Do you, um, do, do you, well, let's talk about writer's block. Do you ever, I, well, I guess you answered the kind of the question I was going to ask. Um, that, that's the closest you said to, to writer's yeah. block. Do I you never, ever struggle with ideas? I'm not, I guess I'm, am I saying that right? Do you ever yeah. struggle with like formulating an idea? Yes. And have, having it come out the way you want? Yes. I, 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 as for writers, like I read, I read, and 
seems to be working on that problem in the street, and I'm like, oh, okay, this keeps the wheel spinning. Um, the the uh, uh, ideas, that's here's, here's what I've learned. I can't sit down and decide I'm going to come up with an idea. That just doesn't work. It never happens. I just sit down and start writing. And I know that sounds crazy. Just, you know, your fingers start moving up. Your mind starts going and you get these ideas. But I can't think of an idea. I've never thought of an idea. If that makes sense. I've never sat around going, okay, so I need, you know, what would be good here? What would be, just let it happen as you're going. That's my process. And I think everybody's. So yeah. Let's talk about artwork now. One of my favorite things. I love the visual of your book covers. In fact, uh, one of the things we talked about with Carver when he was here is, you know, about who does his artwork. And sometimes his girlfriend does, and sometimes he does, and sometimes other people. Who, how, who inspires you? To do this work, does do other people do your artwork for you, or do you come up with this? Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't create that. Um, basically, what happens is uh, we have a we have a designer, a cover designer. Um, his name's Mike, and uh, he's uh, he's a he designs websites, all kinds of stuff for a living. That's what he does. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just really liked what he did. And so I just, you know, asked, you know, asked if he would do more book covers and, you know, said yes, of course. So, like, I can, I'll go to him and I'll give him, like, you know, this book is about, you know, there's kind of this, this, this. Just go, go with it, do your thing. Because I, I'm not an expert at, at book covers. I'm not an expert at, at art. He is. So I believe in letting the experts shine where the experts shine. I think if I try to tell him how to do it, or I think I'm robbing myself of, of his expertise. Right. You know, well, here's a question along those lines then, uh, and it, it ties directly into what you're talking about now. Uh, have you ever presented an idea to an artist uh, and been let down? Maybe it didn't quite hit on all cylinders, uh, maybe it fell short of what you were looking for. Have you ever been disappointed? Um, I wouldn't say disappointed, but it's certainly like the mother cover. The mother cover, the cover for mother, was not at all what I had in mind. Um, I, I just uh, I had a whole different idea, and it just wasn't working. And he said, let's do this, and I went, okay, it's really simple. And I, I'm not disappointed, but, but it, it's not at all what I uh, pictured. Yeah, it works. People, you know, it says what it needs to say. You know what it's lacking? I, I, I'm a consumer. I can tell you what it's lacking. What? It's lacking blood. It's lacking <laughs> some, some some dagger puncture marks. I agree. It, yeah. It's not. It's lacking the gore factor that you would associate with a horror novel. You would, but it's, it's right, Amelia. Mother, yeah. Mother is yeah. Mother, mother is much more psychological thriller than mm-hmm. horror. It, it goes dark into that psychological thriller aspect, but it's not exactly horror. That's one that's a little bit different from what we usually do. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. 
Amelia, yeah. I am going to give you, young lady, the last questions of the night. Are you believing this has already been an hour? I cannot believe it. It's already it's been, been an hour. Been a fast hour. Let me. Tell it you has been a fast hour. Man, I have wow. to have Alistair Cross back, and I oh, absolutely back with Tamara Thorne. I want yes, both, both of you guys together. That would be an awesome. Yeah. Movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to see these two crazies together. <laughs> Go ahead, Amelia. You got the final final word Absolutely. of the night. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, you said that you were writing usually three books at a time. Do you ever find yourself accidentally missing, mixing an idea with another book? Yes. And, yes. One time, and one then, time we, were, we were writing and we couldn't figure out why it wasn't working. And it was a character named Belinda. And we're like, oh, my God. You know what? I, I know people who write for a living. That and I wouldn't even ask a question like that because it happens all the time. <laughs> all the time. Mm -hmm. But that so was a very observant question, Amelia. I'll give oh, you absolutely. one more, Amelia. Go ahead. Absolutely. And also I was gonna say that, you know, I know that writing ideas and things like that, and a lot of people want to know more about uh, have you ever thought of having any of the books turn into a movie or a series of a movie um if that if that happened we did we did have some interest in another but as these things go and clearly nothing ever became of it i but, could see I that mean, turning into a tv series yeah. absolutely yeah but I mean, I, I would be okay with it. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stand in the way of that. But it's I'm I'm a lot. I think I'm one of the only writers I've ever um, known that that's 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 not really my dream. Most writers that's their big thing they want. I wouldn't stand in its way, but I don't care if. Yeah. I, I don't. It doesn't matter to me. If I have to great, but it's not something that I. Well, I tell you what, my friend. Um, this show has uh, several friends in the film business. We got a lot of buddies in the film business. All right. Mm -hmm. um, when you're ready, you let me know, and I'll hook you up with some movie people. All right. You know, I'll tell you what, and I'll again, I'm a consumer, and I'll tell you what I think right off the bat. Oh, absolutely. I think the, the Vampires of Crimson Cove trilogy, mm -hmm. um, at least the first three, maybe all four, mm -hmm. for sure the first three, mm -hmm. that's got movie written all over it. Think yeah. about something. Yeah. And I even and, got some and, of the mother also here. Yeah. But Amelia, think about something. Mm -hmm. the, the Twilight series started yes. out as a book series. It did. Yeah. It did. Uh, you know, so you're in good company, Alistair. Oh, absolutely. Even you're the exorcist very, one, too. Good company. Right. Yeah. So listen, my friend, I want you to tell everybody where they can reach you, uh, your social media, uh, where they can buy your books. Tell everybody how to get a hold of Alistair and let them know Alistair Cross is here today. All right. The, the simplest, fastest way is my website, which is just alistaircross.com, and there you will find the books, social media links, everything. And uh, that's really anything you want to find. I would sign up for our, our, our uh, um, newsletter, Urban Pro, because it's pretty funny. And uh, <laughs> 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 uh, over the top 
So newspaper style, uh, monthly newsletters, but it also has gossip, like gossip rag, and you some good times. And on top of fun stuff, it's like, you know, deals, you know, if something goes on And you're people can get a hold of you on uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Instagram, and you'll find all that on there. All the social media, right, Alistair? Yep. Okay, terrific. Um, before we uh, we sign off for tonight, I want to shout out to Brandon Keaton and the cast of Turbo Cola for making this an incredible experience. 377,000 streams worldwide. Wow. 377,000. And they're coming back Thursday night for part two. We will have Aaron Norton. We will have Anthony Notarelli and Jordan Denning here. Also, Brandon Keaton will be joining us. I tried to kick him off, but he won't let me. <laughs> I love Brandon. He's a great guy. Um, so I wanted to put that shout out there. Um, Absolutely. So, Amelia, tell everybody who's coming up. I mean, I just told them, Brandon, and, who else we got coming uh, up? June 29th and 30th, we're going to have part two and part three of uh, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah, boy. Let me tell you Pearl what. Jr. That, I mean, that show, that, that, that exacerbated some tension. Let me tell you yes. what. I, I never got hate mail before. <laughs> oh. I'm getting hate mail from Michael. I'm not I'm not from Michael. <laughs> well, maybe That's it's from him. Story. You never know. I'm getting, yeah, I'm getting hate mail from, <laughs> like, why are you bashing Michael? I'm not bashing Michael, okay? You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm like the referee. I'm down the middle here, okay? Mm-hmm. I don't have a dog in the fight. Right. Now, if we're talking Elvis, that's a whole different story. Right. Okay. Now, um, we have Pro Junior coming back the 29th and 30th. On July 5th, we are going to talk about, we're talking about controversy, a conspiracy special. <laughs> Just in time for the January 6th hearings, right? I've got right. Mike Cullen joining us from Alaska. We'll be on here to talk about the takeover of the U.S. government by parties unknown as to me right now. Um, But he apparently knows who's who's taking over. Um, Amelia, I'm going to mute my microphone because your headset is doing that crazy stuff again. Um, on On July the 7th, Angelo Capone... And a surprise guest will be here. Angelo, by the way, is the country's leading Jerry Lewis impersonator. And he will be with us. And I will have a surprise guest joining us. That's all I'm going to tell you. So, for Alistair Cross, for Amelia Pitbull Chapman, I'm the mad dog, Angelo DiCipio. Take care, buddy, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.